What up, guys? I am a massive coffee drinker. I absolutely love Caveman Coffee. I've been drinking Caveman Coffee for a long time. Uh, they make an enormous amount of different products in the coffee arena. They make this unbelievable nitro cold, cold brew that I am addicted to, actually. Um, and they also make a bunch of whole bean coffee. They make this amazing cacao butter. But I am a massive fan of their Nitro Cold Brew. It gets delivered directly to my door. And you can have the same exact thing. Go to cavemancoffee.com. That is cavemancoffee.com. Use the promo code BORN20. That's B-O-R-N, the number 20 at checkout for 20% off the best coffee on the planet, cavemancoffee.com is the bomb. What's going on, podcast listeners? My name is Michael Chernow. I am a restaurateur and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I am truly obsessed with living a life better than yesterday through wellness, fitness, and good vibes. I've always wondered if the drive to succeed is something we are born with or if it's something that is made over time through grit, drive, and perseverance. I get to answer that question exactly and the goal of this podcast is to talk with people that have absolutely crushed it in life and have inspired me to do the same. This is Born or Made. My next guest on the show is Josh Kopel. He is a restaurateur and entrepreneur and a podcaster. He's got a restaurant in Los Angeles. He's had a couple of other restaurants along his journey. Um, he's got a really cool restaurant consulting company. Josh has been in the industry for quite some time. Uh, and he opened up a restaurant called Prue and Proper in downtown LA. He was really a pioneer in downtown LA 10 years ago. We recorded this episode just a few short months ago in the beginning of this pandemic. And Josh has made a decision since the recording of this episode till last week to close Prue and Proper, uh, which is really unfortunate. And it's really a sign to show how catastrophic this pandemic has been on the restaurant industry. I had a great chat with Josh a few a few days ago before launching the episode today, and I just mentioned to him that you know I I, I thought that there were so many incredible diamonds that he dropped in this episode. I I didn't want to have to re-record it. I wanted to drop this episode exactly how it was, and he was very accommodating and and actually excited because he said to me, uh, pretty much verbatim. You know, this is not the end of the road. This is the the beginning of a new chapter. And he really, really talks to us about what makes great culture in the restaurant business. And he, he gives us some opportunities to implement some of his techniques uh, on the podcast. So I'm excited for you all to hear it. And uh, let's get after it. Josh Kopel. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, super happy to be here. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you just give us a quick synopsis of who you are and where, uh, where you're at right now? For sure. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I moved out to LA at 20 years old. The idea was is that I was going to find a cool concept in LA and bring it back, back to Baton Rouge. And after being out here about five years, what I saw was that, that LA could use a little Baton Rouge. It could use a little hospitality. This was in the early 2000s. 
It was at the peak of Hollywood nightlife. I was running like big clubs in Hollywood and they were anything but, but hospitable. Uh, when the crash of 2008 hit, I saw it as an opportunity to, to pivot into my own concept. I opened a bar in 2010 called 504 in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, it was a New Orleans dive bar. It was everything I had grown up with and everything that I loved. And it was a hit. It was a huge hit. You know, how many, how many people in hospitality can say that their business made money literally from the day it opened? Mm. And, uh, mm. and from there, I, uh, four or five years later, uh, I decided I wanted to get into fine dining. I mean, how, how hard could that be, right? Go from uh, Louisiana Baton Rouge dive bar to fine yeah, dining. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it kicked the shit out of me. I mean, from the day it opened, um, expectations were high because people, people really liked what we were doing in Hollywood. And if we were going to do fine dining, the expectation was is that we were going to do it well. And we didn't. We definitely did not do it well. I spent a year apologizing every night. You know, and the goal used to be, you know, to make money, to create this prolific concept. Uh, but with Pru and Proper, I spent all of my time like just trying to get through one dinner service without a disaster. Mm. And it was, it was mm. a super humbling experience. It wasn't the first time I had failed, but it was the first time I had created something where I failed on a daily basis. Mm. And so I, I started with the basics. I turned to my business partner, who was also my best friend and financier. And I said, I'm going to fire the general manager and the executive chef. And I'm going to start fresh. And if things aren't different in 60 days, we're just going to shut it down. Because I didn't, I didn't know what else to do other than to be true to self. So I took over as GM. And uh, I hired an executive chef by the name of Sammy Mansoor. Young guy, really talented, central focus on Southern culture, sustainability. And we killed it. And we, you know, we spent this, the next year apologizing for all the terrible work that I had done independently the first year. But by the third year, everyone had forgotten and we were making money. After that, we decided to move into the fast casual market. We opened South City Fried Chicken. Uh, that did well, but was, I just don't enjoy that tier of dining. And so we, we ended up getting out of that about a year and a half later. And, uh, and then that brings us to, you know, the apocalypse that we are in now and mm. the pivots that came out of that. So, you know, you are a restaurateur, uh, and I am a restaurateur. You're on the West coast in California. I'm on the East coast in New York. And I think before we dive into the Borner made, uh, sort of, uh, you know, pathway. I, I, I'd like to talk about the time that we're in, uh, in the world of restaurants right now, because it's, it's obviously we're still dealing with a bunch of COVID stuff. We're dealing with, um, you know, really terrible social situations in the country. Uh, and our businesses are directly impacted by both of those things. Um, and so I just wanted to get your opinion and, and, and sort of hear a little bit from you, um, how you have been navigating. Have you learned anything? Are you implementing anything new um, in your business? Business is in the toilet for me, like it is for everyone else, uh, which is unfortunate, but it's also an opportunity. What, what I see as the real opportunity here being in the hospitality industry is to be of service. Uh, it, it was through the pandemic that I started the podcast. 
it was through the pandemic that I started giving away the technology that I created for free. Uh, now is the time to be of highest and best use. I, you know, kind of a tangential story for you. Uh, about six months ago, I was driving by a Chick-fil-A and I'm not a huge fan of their politics. I am a huge fan of their chicken though. But they had a sign out front and it said, uh, if you have a servant's heart, please apply. We're hiring. And I thought about it and I thought to myself, I wonder how many people look at that sign and are just disgusted, right? Like, I'm not a servant. I don't have a servant's heart. But I read it and I thought, you know, if I wasn't already a restaurateur, I would love to work there. I have a servant's heart. I get that. That resonates with me. And in, in, you know, authentically having a servant's heart and having had that from the day I was born, I, uh, I, I saw this as an opportunity to give back in a big way and not just to the people within my community, but to the industry at large, which Lord knows it could use some help. I think it was very interesting um, how you told us that story. I think you've almost already answered the question whether you're born or made. Um, what did you learn from going to uh, the bar business, which we all know is as difficult as the restaurant business? It's a kind of a, a whole slew of different types of headaches, though you could potentially make more money in the bar business without a doubt than in the restaurant business. But what did you learn from going to the bar business to the restaurant business? That if you don't like it, don't do it because the margins are terrible. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, what, what I loved about the bar business was creating experiences for people that, that you could, you know, people could fall in love. People would bring first dates there. People would meet and you could help encourage that relationship and people celebrated their birthdays and, and you were just an intrinsic part. And because of the type of bar it was, people went every day. So we were like an intrinsic part of people's lives. I wanted to own a bar where you could go by yourself and not be alone. Mm. That's, that's how the bartenders were trained. It's like cheers, you know, and that's, that's everything that I grew up with in the small town that I grew up in. And, and so I, I wanted that. That expectation is incredibly low. It's personalized. It's super special. But when you're charging $65 for a steak, in fine dining, mm -hmm. like the expectation is just different. So you have to hit all of the notes, you have to hit them in sequence and it has to be perfection. And I had never built out an infrastructure where that was even possible. We were dancing on the bar to mm -hmm. like Sweet Caroline mm -hmm. at three o'clock in the morning, hoping the cops didn't shut us down. And now like it's about nuance. There's no nuance in a dive bar. It's such an interesting pivot. I mean, what, what propelled you to want to go from that environment, which sounds like you were kind of killing it, sounds like it wasn't that stressful because you were killing it and you were having a good time and you had had this sort of loyal demographic of people that were coming in on a regular basis. Why did you decide to just take a plunge into like the shark tank? Hubert's. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to own one concept in each tier of dining. What I wanted to do was be able to go on a podcast like this and be able to say, I killed every tier of dining that exists except for fast food because fast food for the most part is trash. And, you know, and be able to tell people how awesome it is, how easy it is. Um, and it's none of those things. It is awesome, but it's not easy. And ultimately at the end of the day, I 
ended up having to take a huge step back because of it. That's so interesting that that was sort of your motivation. You wanted to, you, you really wanted to have like a, a diverse uh, portfolio of different, of different kinds of uh, styles of dining. Um, you said you got into the, into the fast casual space and it wasn't your thing. Let's talk about that for a minute because fast casual is currently the sort of like if you can nail it with fast casual it's sort of like the golden goose right it's like if you figure out a way to create a concept that resonates with a large group of people and is replicable and scalable uh that's how you end up making money in the restaurant business why why was it not your bag because we weren't fast and we weren't particularly casual it's the the problem was you know, we were putting out probably the best chicken sandwiches money could buy, but mm -hmm. we were mm -hmm. seated in a food hall and a, a, a fried chicken sandwich that takes 20 minutes to prepare is, is, is not a good fried chicken sandwich no. because it, it's the only no. metric that people are looking at. And in fine dining, you have all the time in the world to cook, right? Because you've got ambiance and you've got all of these things that distract and People are sipping on cocktails that are in weird vessels and they're interesting colors. And, and there are all of these things to distract from the fact that your food is taking a while. And, you know, we had made the commitment that we didn't want to make the food until you ordered it. And it was also really expensive food. It just like the fine dining restaurant was a scratch kitchen. This was a scratch kitchen as well. So, you know, instead of, instead of being able to run this type model where we open an hour before doors and we closed an hour after doors like we had a whole team in there prepping six hours before service in the fast casual yeah that's not um, how you make money no it's 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 not but that's that's how we make food so we tried it we tried we we tried to we tried to be pliable but ultimately at the end of the day it just didn't work i couldn't make the food cheap enough mm -hmm. and i tried everything uh, but I couldn't make the food cheap enough and not offset labor was a huge issue for us. And, uh, and it just couldn't be done fast enough in a way. You know, we didn't want freezers. We didn't want heat lamps. We wanted everything to be super fresh. But the reality is, and, and I guess this is the simplistic answer. When you have an hour for lunch and it takes you 20 minutes to get there and 20 minutes to get back, and it takes me 20 minutes to make your food, you're going to be fucking pissed. Yeah. So that's why that's why we bowed out. Did you guys um, just just unwind the the company, or did you sell it? But that we we sold the space, not the concept. Okay. So I, I was I was able to sublease the space and make back a little bit of the money, but we took a bath. More with my guest in just a minute. Whoop is a fitness and recovery tracker. It is something that you wear on your wrist. They actually look very, very cool. Uh, I've been wearing Whoop for a long time. The beauty of Whoop for me is that it actually tells me how much to recover as opposed to how much I am training. I know how hard I train. What I don't know is how well my body is recovered and that is where Whoop comes in. Whoop is going to tell me how well I've slept, how well my body has recovered from the hard strain that I put in, how many calories I've burned, all the things that a fitness tracker would typically tell you 
through an amazing app. They are a data-focused company. Go to whoop.com and put in promo code CHERNOW, that is C-H-E-R-N-O-W, and get your first month free. Boom. So go check out whoop.com to see what I see every single day. I think that's an interesting thing to discuss as well. Uh, You know, I believe that uh, losing is winning in many cases. I really do. I I, I think I've learned the most in my life uh, in the losses I've taken. Why don't you just talk me through when you decided to, to pull the plug on the chicken concept and how that felt and, you know, was it painful and what did you learn from it? So the chicken concept never made, never netted out enough money to pay me, right? I, I never got a dividend from it, which means, I, you know, looking at it, it was a source of stress. It was a source of pain. It was something that I was continuously dumping money into. And basically, I was paying to work for free, mm. right? And not only that, it's not like this was a concept that people adored, right? This wasn't, this wasn't a restaurant that people were like, oh my God, I can't live without it. Sure, I mean, we had huge advocates and people loved it and all of that. But for the most part, we were missing the mark. And so you look at it and you say, you know, we're not accomplishing our goal with our guests. I'm paying to work for free. And this has absorbed a year and a half of my life. What do we do here? And it just, at that point, it made sense to swallow my pride, to take the L and walk away. And, you know, I, I think I was able to create the most lucrative or, or positive exit possible in that situation. But it, it all kind of speaks to the same thing. And I know you work out a lot, so I, I know you'll appreciate this. You know, on, on that born or made thing, it, endurance is not something you're born with, right? It's something you develop over time. And resilience is not something you're born with. It's something that you can develop and hone over time. And so understanding that the obstacle is the path and that regardless of what happens with this one little chicken shack in this food hall in downtown Los Angeles, that that in no way encapsulates the, the, the totality of my career. It was just a choice, right? And so I can weight that choice heavily or I can weight that choice lightly. And I can say, this was a choice I made. It wasn't a great choice. And so I'm choosing to make a different one. And, and the resilience required to, to do that and to be able to turn to the staff, who, by the way, we were able to retain everyone and we just rolled everyone into the fine dining restaurant. Um, to, be, to have to turn to the staff and turn to the general public and turn to our people and say, you know, that dog just won't hunt. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's humbling. But the more you do it, it, it's no different than negotiating, having conversations about money, you know, strategic quitting. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I think that is invaluable content and information, man. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. I think that just because you make a, a decision in business that didn't work out, changing your mind, obviously, it costs money, right? But changing your mind is probably the best thing entrepreneurs do uh it, it i think it what it, it it almost is what defines a great entrepreneur the ability to change their mind and 
and be open to new opportunities and new ideas and not be afraid to, to go out there and do something different. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up, what your parents were, what your relationship was like with your parents, what school was sure. like as a kid? I was really close to, to my parents that. growing up. Uh, my mother was, was just a really strong, amazing, powerful woman. She was the matriarch of the family. And my father was a uh, traveling salesman focused on housewares. And I traveled on the road with him during the summer. So for three months straight, most summers, I would be out on the road with him as he would go to all of these small towns in Louisiana selling his wares. And uh, it, was a, it was such an amazing experience to watch him sell. Because the, the big lesson learned there was, he said, if you sell yourself, they'll buy whatever you put in front of them. And there's so much truth to that. So mm. much truth. And so I would watch him go in and mm. he was never selling. He was just building relationships. And as he'd walk through the store, he'd be like, oh, you know, this and this would go really well in your store. And they would agree because he had taken the time to understand them. And what it did was it gave me sales chops really early on. And he would use me to help sell. I, I knew his his pitch, he was selling uh, this, this beautiful serving stuff called Wilton Armatel, and it's oven to table to freezer. And <laughs> I, would go through, I would go through the whole thing, and it was amazing. And we were in this 1986 four-door Volvo, and we were going to Opelousas, Louisiana, and Leesville, and we'd go all the way out to Florida, which is like a 16-hour drive. And it was, it was an amazing experience as a child. It was also like really, really great quality time with my dad. Uh, they, they've both been a real inspiration. I mean, both have been employed and hard workers their, their whole life. Uh, my father always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but never, never either, either the, the courage or the convenience to do anything on his own. And I think that's probably where it came from for me. And, uh, and, and then, you know, in terms of like education, high school and all that, I was a terrible student. I, I wasn't, wasn't interested in formalized learning. High school was, was where I, I honed kind of who I wanted to be as a person. Uh, I was always telling jokes. They were always falling flat. <laughs> Over time, I got progressively funnier and more charming. Uh, I had terrible skin. So I, I had decided that if I couldn't be attractive, I was going to be funny. Do you remember making that decision? Like, do you actually remember, like, can you, can you honestly say that, you, you know, you looked in the mirror and you said, well, if I'm not going to be, if I'm not going to be able to get what I want through yeah, my looks, absolutely. I'm going to use It was charm. the first day of high school. And Miss Landers was like the school guidance counselor. I went to an all boys preparatory school, 197 boys in my graduating class. And Miss Landers got up in front of the class and she said, whoever you were before today, doesn't matter. Most of the people in this school don't know you. They have no idea what your background is, whether you were athletic or popular, none of that matters. You have the opportunity to start fresh. Uh, and I did. And it didn't go over real well because as I'm sure you can imagine, in an all boys, like super aggressive, deep south preparatory school, um, athleticism matters a lot more than wit. And typically, athleticism gets you like a really nice locker mm. and wit gets you pushed into one. 
Right? Um, uh-huh. Oh my God, yes. Did you spend some sure. time in some lockers? Uh, I, I tried sports here and there, but it was hyper-competitive at the time. I wasn't particularly athletic, and I, nor was I really into fitness or anything like that. But by my senior year, I decided that that was the path I wanted to go. So as a freshman in college, I, uh, I took Miss Lander's advice again, and I decided that I was going to have a central focus on fitness and well-being. Uh, and I had decided by then that Baton Rouge wasn't the place for me. So I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew that like step one was to get out of college as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got out in just under four years. Mm-hmm. More with my guest in just a minute. Athletic Greens is one of the only things that I have been using for about seven years straight. Athletic Greens is the first thing that I put into my body every single morning. I start my day with Athletic Greens. It is a Greens Superfoods powder that I absolutely love. It tastes incredibly good compared to the rest of the stuff on the market. It's filled with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. The stuff is the bomb. I add a little bit of ice to it, a little bit of coconut milk, blend it up, drink it down on an empty stomach, and my oh my is my nutritional wellness insurance taken care of. Go over to athleticgreens.com forward slash born. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash born for 20 free travel packs with your first order. I highly recommend Athletic Greens. I've been doing it for a long time and so should you. You know, I believe that business cultivates two kinds of people in the world of, of leadership, right? There's, there's leading with the iron fist and, uh, and the P&L, and then there's leading with your heart and emotionally with a, a group of people. Where do you think you sit, if you agree with those two different styles of, of leaders, where do you think you sit and, and do you believe that one is, is better than the other? I do. I, I think that I, I think that it is more important to be inspirational and aspirational than it is anything else. If you hire well, if you hire people that don't have to be motivated, if you hire people that don't have to be managed, that are willing to self-manage and self-motivate, then all you're really doing all day long is telling them why you're doing, why they're doing what they're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. Carlos Santana said, that there's nothing in the world more contagious than enthusiasm. And you're not going to find a truer statement out there. I was, I was talking with a friend recently because, uh, you know, I, I've had projects outside of the restaurant really blossom in the midst of COVID. And he was like, how is it possible? And I said, it's possible through the power of belief. I create a distortion field around me with my enthusiasm and with my positivity. And it's really easy to get people involved in it because everyone's attracted to enthusiasm. The guy I was talking to was one of my first employees at the bar. And I was like, how did we end up being the most popular bar in Hollywood? Did I convince every citizen in Hollywood that that was the case? And the answer is no. I convinced the staff. I told them on the first day, it's the best job you'll ever have. It's the best bar in the city. And we're going to work every day to make those two statements true. And they bought in. And when they bought in, they sold it to everyone that stepped through that threshold. And then the bar becomes this huge 
distortion filter until eventually what I said manifests. What I said ends up being true. And that is, that is, that is why, yes, you, you can run it off the P&L. And, and I strongly recommend that everyone listening be fiscally responsible. Uh, but if, if your goal is to earn money, you are already fucked. You can only make money. You can only create money from nothing. When you look at that bar in Hollywood, there was nothing there. There had been three things in that spot in the last five years before I took it over. And I ran it for 10 years before I sold it for a profit. So it's not about earning money. It's about creating wealth. It's about creating money through experience, through emotion, and through enthusiasm. Did I sound like a self-help guy? No, dude. Yes. Yes. But I can't tell you how much I identify with that. I believe that culture is the most important component. And if you don't have a culture that is positive, your chances of survival in a hyper competitive market like Los Angeles and New York City are very, very slim. Maybe it's a flash in the pan. Um, but if your focus is on making money at its core, like you said, you're fucked. It doesn't it, it does not work long term. Um, are there a couple of. Uh, stories that you can share with us and or tips that you can share with us uh to sort of um in a time like this i think people have an opportunity to change right so any tips that you can give for people to sort of enhance their company culture yeah I, again it, it all starts with the hiring process you you've you've got to hire based on values i can train anyone to cook i can train anyone to take an order it, it's got to come down to do they believe in what I believe on, on a base level? And if, and if they're in, if they're bought in. So our line of questioning when it comes to hiring, it's questions like, you know, like it's important to us that you have a zest for learning because you're going to need to learn all aspects of the menu, right? So I can turn to you and say, hey, Mike, are you interested in learning about all the aspects of our menu? And you can be like, yeah, because I really want this fucking job. Mm -hmm. Or you, I, can, I can say, mm -hmm. hey, man, what podcast do you listen to? Mm -hmm. And then it speaks, mm -hmm. to, oh, I don't really listen to podcasts, right? Well, what, what do you listen to? How do you learn? Right? Oh, well, I read Medium articles. Or, oh, you know, I'm not really into that kind of stuff. I like to play video games. Well, that might not be the right cultural fit for us. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it all starts mm -hmm. with hiring. And then... There's this huge indoctrination phase. For us, we've always said that our retention rate uh, in the first 30 days is 50%. Our retention rate outside of that is like 99.99%. Because that's great. either you're going to wow, Yeah, great. but it's, it's because either you're going to like what we do or not. We expect a lot of our people. And we push them hard. And you know, a, a great example, part of our company culture is that if you use it, you're responsible for it. So we have a 6,000 square foot, two-story restaurant. We don't have a cleaning crew at night. The staff cleans the restaurant. And they clean the restaurant because it gives them respect for the tools that they use and the place that they work. It affords them an attention to detail that they would not otherwise have. And so it's things like that, implementing tools, techniques, strategies like that, as well as like creating a line of questioning that's going to help you vet who's best for your company, who shares your beliefs, I think is critical. Other things that have worked really well for us, we have a zero tolerance policy on things like it, it proven proper, it's a dry house, which means 
You can't drink on shift and you can't drink off shift. No one can drink on site. We invest too much in our people to have them come in, have a couple of drinks and make a bad decision. That's not the kind of culture we're trying to create. Um, and, and so with things like tardiness, uh, you know, not showing up in uniform, uh, not following the basic protocols, we have a zero tolerance policy because those are not things that make you a responsible employee. Those are things that illustrate that you are a responsible person. And we only want to work with responsible people. So when we hire, we say, you know, these are the baseline sets of expectations, not for you as a waiter, but for you as a man, for you as a human. This is how you'll function here. I'll never sit down with you and beg you to show up on time. I'll never say, please be ready for the beginning of your shift. Those are things you already know to do because you've been pre-vetted. And that took so much off of my plate. Absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. I agree with you wholeheartedly. If you lay it out very kindly and nicely in the very beginning and you say, hey, like this is the deal and I'm, I'm here to support and help you, uh, you got you to gotta support and help me. You know, I think that's, that's also very, very important. More with my guest in just a minute. 10,000 is a men's fitness apparel brand. I only use 10,000 when I train. They make the best stuff on the market. The beauty of 10,000 is that you can customize everything. The color, the inseam, the liner, everything is done with the highest quality available. They offer free delivery, free returns. They stand behind their product 100%. I love the fact that they have the best anti-odor property in the game. I am telling you that I wear 10,000 shorts and tops all the time when I'm training and even when I'm not training and this stuff never ever smells. It never ever breaks down. It's really good looking stuff. The material is absolutely incredible. I highly recommend 10,000. There is a 100% money back guarantee on this stuff. So if you don't like it, Boom, send it back and you get your money back. Go over to 10,000.cc. That's T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D dot C-C. Use promo code BORN20 at checkout. That's B-O-R-N, the number 20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. 10,000 is the bomb. So what happens when somebody shows up late to work? Uh, they get written up. Mm-hmm. and uh, they, they're, you know, basically there's a real simple conversation that happens after that. They get written up, they get one warning and I say, listen, I like you. You do really good work here. Don't make me fire you for something stupid. And that's it. And we never have to have the conversation again, right? Because either they're going to show up late again and they're going to get fired and it doesn't come as a surprise to anyone or they're never going to show up late again. And that's not to say that they can't have a reason why. But it's, you know, my, my third point, which I, I think you, you've touched on many times in this talk is, you know, you've got to invest in your people. And mentorship is important. It is important to be mentored, but it is also important to mentor. And mm-hmm. I, you know, in New York, it's the same as in LA in the way that most of the people that work for you have ambitions outside of the industry. Everyone is literally one solid audition away from telling you to go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, Mm-hmm. Either you ignore that fact and you try and force a square peg into a round hole, or you say, let's make a deal. Instead of becoming an employer and an employee, let's have a strategic partnership where when you clock in, 
you invest 100% of your energy into my drain, and the moment you clock out, I'll invest 100% of my energy into yours. And so in doing that, I've been able to help people further their music career or get the right agent or whatever, whatever they're trying to pursue to go back to school. Um, we, we've provided everything uh, from loans to letters of recommendation to anything you can imagine because I have been a great employee in the past and I've been a terrible employee in the past. And very little of that had to do with, with the person I was working for. Most of it had to do with wherever my internal motivations are. So what I try and do as, as a leader is I, I try and link up my motivations with theirs so that we're on the same path. Does that make sense? Mm. Totally, man. That is beautiful. That is so awesome. It sounds like, you know, you've really put culture at the forefront of your business. I believe companies with great culture uh, are always going to weather storms like this because the people within the organization are not going to let it fall to the wayside. They are going to come and show up and do what they've got to do to, uh, you know, make adjustments in their life if they believe in something with all their heart. And I think that's what it takes. Um, before I let you go, um, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Uh, any books that you've read uh, along the way that have truly inspired you that you would like the listeners to, 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 take, to take in? Um, Lessons in Service from Charlie Trotter was phenomenal for me. Setting the Table uh, by Danny Meyer in terms of the restaurant industry. Those two books set my path a long time ago. Uh, other great books, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Love that book. Oh my God, it's so good. It, it's, it's a data rich book that, that'll help you, you know, really set the path by looking at the trajectory of other people. Um, Principles by Ray Dalio, fantastic book. It's like an encyclopedia. If you can get through a book that is that long, you are one step closer to having what it takes to be successful because it is exhausting. Um, Invested by Danielle Town. Uh, that book is about uh, value investing. I read the book. Uh, I read a bunch of other books uh, about investing, but that one beautifully distilled, you know, how to make money in the stock market. I, uh, I'm up 70% for the year. What, uh, what, what, what sort of advice would you like to leave us with? today? Either advice that you've created on your own or advice that's been passed down to you that you pass on to others? Here's a great piece of advice that was passed down to me. Because uh, I'm sure your base is almost all entrepreneurs. Success is, is a mindset. It's not a feeling. And, and I say that because I have achieved a bunch of success in my life and not a single day has passed where I felt successful. Um, it is, success is not a feeling. I feel good some days, I feel bad some days. Have I achieved some success? Sure, but I always move the goalposts. I'm always, I always mm -hmm. want more, I always crave more. I always, I believe that I haven't reached my potential. You know, uh, I know some people peak in high school. I turned 41 this year, and I don't think I'm anywhere near peaking. And, and I don't think I will ever feel that sense of satisfaction, which is probably what's going to continue to push me forward. So if you're waiting to feel successful, to know that you are successful, you will probably be waiting a really long time. 
That's probably the best piece of advice. I love that. Josh, are you born or are you made? I was born with the inclination to succeed. Um, and through trial and tribulation, I've been able to hone those skills. So I would say probably more made than born, but it would be impossible to, uh, to not to discount one or the other. You are not alone there, my friend. I don't think that there is a right answer here. I will say that if you believe you were born with something, though, uh, you, are, you are born. However, I believe that every single human being on this planet is born with something. For some, it's sports. For some, it's fine art. For some, it's being able to sing and dance. For you, it's being able to creatively put people in a room together to bring ideas and vision to life. Um, I think everybody is born with a thing. And uh, as I've been doing this podcast, a a bunch of episodes in now, you know, when I first started, my thought was, oh man, but you know, if people think that they're born, is that going to discourage others from getting after it? And, And what I've learned over all of these conversations is that Almost everybody that's come on the, on the podcast has mentioned the fact that they think that they were born with something, but they were made over time. Uh, and, and I agree with that. I think it is a combination, but I do think in my heart of hearts that everybody is born with something. And the journey in life is to try to find out what that thing is. And some people do and some people don't. Um, but I think if this podcast can get people a little bit closer to understanding what their born is... Um, then I've done my job. My man, thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, why don't you tell everybody what your businesses are and where they can find you on social media? I own Pru and Proper, Michelin-rated fine dining restaurant in downtown LA. You can find us at pruandproper.com. I own a restaurant services business called Flow Hospitality Solution. We answer the phones, we do online chat, and we text message with busy restaurants. You can find that at justcallflow.com. Uh, and I, I host the Full Comp Podcast, available on all platforms. And social media? Uh, at Josh Copel on Instagram. Or you can check out my website, joshcopel.com. You're the man. Keep crushing it. You, it's such a pleasure talking with you today. And thank you so, 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 so much. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, guys, that was my conversation with Josh Kopel. Uh, The guy is such an inspirational dude. He's so articulate. He truly had a very, very great answer for all the questions that I asked, and I didn't prep him with anything. Um, I, I just, I could feel the positivity through the Zoom call when I was speaking with him. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I think he, he left us with some great tips and tricks and a good overview of what a great leader should and could be, uh, specifically going into this crazy phase of, uh, of, of business that we're about to step into. So check out the books that he recommended. Success is a mindset, not a feeling. That is a good piece of advice that I will definitely take with me uh, on the road. And uh, I'm really grateful that you all checked in and listened in. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of Born or Made, ladies and gents. I hope our discussion inspired you to take action 
action and chase your own success. Set goals and work towards them. I would be incredibly grateful if you shared our podcast with your friends. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified every time we drop a new episode. Help us out by leaving a positive review and a five-star rating. That would mean the absolute world to me. It really helps the podcast grow. And finally, I'd love to keep the conversation going with you. So you could follow us at BornerMade on Instagram. And you can also follow me at Michael Chernow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. We really appreciate you tuning in and uh, can't wait to see you on the next one.